The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. It's Numbers 15, 22 through 41, Remembering and Performing. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them. For it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him. And it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is a native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, because he despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Then you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. The passage today is divided up into four separate sections, but none of them are disconnected from one another, nor are they disconnected from the first half of the chapter. Today, we will see the Lord's laws concerning unintentional sin, but that seems to be a repeat of chapter 4 of Leviticus. It is not, as will be explained after that comes the law concerning the committing of presumptuous sins. What does that mean, really? Would any of you call getting someone drunk presumptuous sin? Maybe, maybe not. I guess it depends on who you are and what you think about such things. Would you call wasting governmental resources a presumptuous sin? 
As common as that is in the United States, we might ignore this one, but it definitely is against the law. How about committing adultery? Is that presumptuous sin? How about murder? Would any of you call that presumptuous sin? Our text first comes from Psalm 51. It's verses 14 through 17. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David wrote these words of the 51st Psalm after doing all of the things that we just questioned. He got a guy drunk in order to bring about deception. He wasted the resources of his army while they were engaged in battle to do the same. And those things were because he had already committed adultery. And after those things didn't work, he had his loyal soldier killed to cover up what he had done. You've read the passage. It says that a person who sins presumptuously is to be cut off from among his people. And yet, after he had been caught doing these things, Nathan the prophet said, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. How did what was obviously intentional sin turn into unintentional sin? How was it that a certain death sentence was commuted by the Lord? It is because of what David just said in the psalm. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. They are a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise such things. A sin is presumptuous when it fails to take God into account at any point during before or even after it is committed. There is no remedy for such an act. There is an example of what happens in such a case in today's verses. And then there is the Lord's word that the people are to take action to avoid sinning against him at all, either unintentionally or intentionally. And all of these things, yes, every section, verse, and word points to a greater truth. They point to the coming of Messiah and the granting of a new and better covenant which will come through him. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of three thoughts today is sins of omission and high-handed sins. It's verses 22 through 31. Verse 22, if you sin unintentionally, tishku, and if you are going astray. Here we have a word which sets up the theme of the coming verses, shagah. It's only been seen thus far in Leviticus 4, verse 13. It signifies to go astray. It is a moral transgression which may occur through something like intoxication or being enraptured by the enticements of life. Although not specifically used when speaking of David and Bathsheba, the thought is certainly borne out in his being enticed to sin by being enraptured by her beauty. He went astray and wandered down a very bad course. In the case of the verse we are looking at, the verb is plural. It is speaking to the whole congregation concerning the actions of people. What is surprising concerning the words here is that they are not introduced with the regular formula which introduces main sections of thought. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, instead, they follow after the seemingly unrelated words of verses 17 through 21, which dealt with ceremonial law of offering up a heave offering to the Lord. But... When considering the first use of the word shagah in Leviticus 4, the placement here makes more sense. 
There the word was used for acts of commission in violations of the law. Here it deals with acts of omission. The Lord has been expressing the law to the people in regards to their entrance and occupation of Canaan. These obligations upon them are binding. But if they fail to adhere to them, then it is a national shagah, a national going astray. Verses 17 through 21 gave instructions which pointed directly to Christ in his work. When they failed to comply with that, or any such thing which pointed to his fulfillment of the law, it was considered a national error. That continues with the next words. Verse 22 continues, And do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses. The Lord takes a failure to adhere to his commandments in the same light as actually violating one of his commandments. Here the people are told exactingly that the commandments which Moses has relayed to them were spoken directly to him by the Lord. They are his word, and they reflect his will. That process of revelation is then further explained with the next words. Verse 23, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses. Here it says, Bayad Moshe, or by the hand of Moses. Moses didn't just hear what the Lord said and then come and speak the words to the people, leaving a possibility of error. Rather, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses recorded with his own hand everything that the Lord spoke. Thus, the command to the people is Bayad Moshe, or by the hand of Moses. This was, verse 23 continues, from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations. There is the thought of introduction and continuation here. The Lord spoke. The word continues to speak through Moses' hand, and that then follows in that same written word as it says, or and onward throughout your generations. It is a rather amazing thing to consider. The word is spoken, and it continues to speak. It is not a temporary, changeable, or uncertain word. It is a set word which continues in an unaltered form. Obviously, however, if a new covenant is introduced, the old is made obsolete. But even in its obsolescence, it is unchanging. Thus, the law of Moses, which is the word of the Lord, remains unchanged, even if it is no longer in force. When we study this law, it is the same law once and forever delivered. Understanding this, we look to the law not for enforcement of its precepts upon us, but as a memorial that we have been freed from something so heavy and so burdensome that the grace we have received in Christ should be understood as exactly as it has been described throughout the years. Amazing grace. Verse 24, Then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed, without the knowledge of the congregation, now a noun is used, shagaga. That was seen five times in Leviticus 5 and 6. It is unintentional sin. What this means is that something in the law of Moses is not adhered to. It is an act of omission that the congregation simply doesn't realize is occurring. It cannot be speaking of a rejection of the law where the people willingly reject what is stated, but that they are living out their lives in observance of the law, and they, through time or carelessness, begin to let a part of the law slip from their national conscience so that it is no longer being observed. This could be a moral precept, a judicial precept, or a ceremonial one. Whatever they simply overlook as a command, they become guilty. If this happens, verse 24 continues, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. In these words, we have a testimony to the pardonable nature of the act of omission. 
The first offering mentioned is a burnt offering, not a sin offering. Further, the burnt offering is larger than the sin offering, it being a bull, whereas the sin offering is only a goat. The burnt offering looks to Christ, whose life was given wholly to God in fulfillment of the law on behalf of the people. Though the people may stray, Christ did not. The bull represents this on their behalf. It says, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Just as Christ's life was said to be offered up this way by Paul, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Where the people failed, Christ prevailed. This is symbolized in this offering. They first offer the burnt offering in acknowledgement of Christ's perfect obedience to the law. Verse 24 continues with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance. Both the grain and drink offerings have been carefully explained in their typology in regards to Christ. If you don't remember that, shame on you. Five demerits for each forgotten offering and you should go back and you should watch the pertinent sermons to brush up. Verse 24 continues, and one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Only after the burnt offering is the sin offering mentioned. It is a sayir izim, or a hairy goat. Hair, as you know, signifies awareness. In this case, it is an awareness of sin. The people are aware of their sin and seek its atonement. It is the same offering made on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people, and it represents the human life of Jesus taking on our nature but without sin, and yet then taking on our sin in his crucifixion. It is seen in Paul's words to the Corinthians where it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 23, So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. The sacrifice of the sin offering is one which atones or covers the sins of the congregation concerning their unintentional sins. This sacrifice is actually typical of that which is revealed by Christ as he was being crucified. In Luke 23, we read this. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, here it is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Unintentional sin. The very act of crucifying the Lord, which was done in ignorance by the people, is the very thing which could actually bring about the atonement for all of Israel's sins and for all of mankind's sins as well. What was pictured in the hairy goat offering for Israel is fulfilled for the world in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 25 continues, They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. Again, the offerings are noted first for the burn offering, and then for the sin offering, demonstrating the state of the people's unintentional sin before the Lord. In following these prescriptions of the law, there is then release from the penalty of the sin. Verse 26, it shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel. In the acknowledgement of the wrongdoing and in the act of making these offerings which anticipate Christ, the entire congregation is cumulatively forgiven for their transgression. Although there's no record anywhere in the Old Testament of this being done, there were plenty of times that it was necessary. Example after example of such national failings are recorded. Ironically, the one time such a petition is made, 
It is by the one being offered, and who is also the one who acknowledges that the offering is necessary. And even more ironically, it isn't until they acknowledge that he is that offering that their sin will actually be atoned for. Zechariah 12 shows that they will eventually look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him in the realization of what he did for them and what they did to him. In Zechariah 13, it then says, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. The words of this verse we are looking at now anticipate what has been kept from Israel for 2,000 years because of their sin of national ignorance. However, such is not the case with all who required this cleansing. Verse 26 continues, And the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. These words anticipate the cleansing, not just of Israel, but of all who are among them. As the Gentiles have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, which is in Ephesians 2, when we acknowledge our guilt before the Lord, we are cleansed. His atonement is sufficient for all, just as is explained in Romans chapter 4 and elsewhere. Verse 27, And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. The instructions now move from unintentional collective sin to unintentional individual sin. When individual sin is unintentional, but it is realized to have been committed, the one who went astray was required to bring etz bat shnata, or a goat daughter of first year. The etz is a female goat, which comes from a word which signifies to be strong, as in to prevail. The etz is used elliptically in Hebrew to signify the hair from the goat. And so we have the same picture, hair signifying awareness, and the goat as an offering for sin. The offering is strong or capable of atoning for the sin. Being a daughter of the first year implies innocence. All of the offering here pictures Jesus Christ. Verse 28, so the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. Again, the priest is mentioned in the process. A person cannot conduct their own petitions before God. Rather, he needs a mediator. And a person cannot work off his sins. Rather, there needs to be a sacrifice to atone for them. And more, a person's sin is not ignored because it was unintentional. Rather, when it is realized as such, it must be acknowledged. And the forgiveness doesn't just come because the person has acknowledged it as such. Rather, a person may say, yeah, I did wrong, but that in and of itself does not bring forgiveness. An act of faith in the offering, which is then mediated by the priest in connection with the death of the substitute, is required. In all, the gospel is reflected in what is presented right here in this verse. A person sins, a substitute dies for that sin, the sin is acknowledged, and the sacrifice is received by faith. And that reception is offered through the mediator to God. That gospel message is continued to be seen next. Verse 29, you shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. Though the precept in verse 26 was speaking of those who are joined to Israel in a national way, and which will be dealt with in a future in reality, we now see that the atonement of Christ, typified in these offerings, extends to individuals who are strangers, meaning Gentiles, among Israel as well. 
Christ's atonement is sufficient, as we have already noted, for the sin of the whole world. The forgiveness found in Christ is for any and all who will acknowledge him and receive it by faith. Here it says, Torah achat, law one, or instruction one. That equates directly to what Paul speaks of concerning there being one gospel and only one. Verse 30, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native born or a stranger, the words translated as presumptuously are beyad ramah, literally hurled by hand. It is a self-willed act of defiance or presumptuous sin, and it is one which can be committed by either a native born or a stranger. The only comparable sin which this equates to in the New Testament is found in the Gospels and which is known as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Such blasphemy is misunderstood or misapplied, especially among charismatics, far too often in the church, and it results in ruined lives of those who are misled by such teachings. In short, for a person today, such blasphemy is limited to a lifelong rejection of Christ and thus dying apart from Christ's all-sufficient atonement. Verse 30 continues, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people. Here we have a new word, gadaf, which will be seen just seven times in scripture. It signifies to revile or blaspheme, coming from a root which means to hack. Thus, it is as if hacking by word. In the Hebrew, the name Yehovah or Lord is in the emphatic position, revealing the scope of the crime. And thus, the sentence for such a crime is to be cut off from among his people. Verse 31, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Here we have a word only once seen so far in scripture. It's the word bazaar or to despise. This is what Esau did with his birthright. And now it is what is said to be done concerning the word of the Lord. There is contempt for the Lord's word and thus there is contempt for the Lord. This can be equated with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which Israel's leaders were guilty of. They had the word of God, which spoke concerning the coming Messiah. Jesus stood there, the incarnate word of God, as witness to and by the word which came by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They attributed the work of Jesus to the devil, and thus they rejected the word which pointed to Jesus, and thus they despised that word, blaspheming the Holy Spirit in the process. In this, they were, in fact, cut off, and their guilt remained upon them. This is the idea which is presented now to Israel. In despising the word and in breaking the commandment, they were to receive the punishment for their actions. As it says, Hikaret, Tikaret. Completely cut off, he shall be cut off. And his guilt remained unatoned for. Help me to remember to do what is right, O God. To you I make my address. May I remember my duty to you. Grant me wisdom on this path that I trod, that I will act always in holiness, in my life being true. May I hold fast to your word always, when I am silent or when I speak. May I never depart from it, not for all of my days. Strengthen me, O God, in the times when I am weak. I know that I can do all things, yes, I know it is true, through Christ who strengthens me, in him I am strong. And so I will trust in my Lord all my days. This I will do. In my heart I will carry him. Christ, my strength, and my song. Our second thought today is the weight and memory of the law. It's verses 32 through 36. Verse 32, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, 
they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. The account now is companion to the account of the blasphemer, which was seen in Leviticus chapter 24. If you take them and you place them side by side, this is evident. It goes directly from explaining high-handed sin to a demonstration of the penalty for such sin. Scripture gives no clue as to when this offense actually took place, but the placement of it here is to solidify the words which were just spoken concerning high-handed sin. There really was no excuse for what he did. They were in the wilderness where there was nothing else to do on any given day. And so preparing for a Sabbath would be no chore at all on any other day. It is in defiance of a divinely established law, the reason for which was explained. It is something that was inconsistent with his identification with Israel, and it was done in the open. Thus, it was an open challenge to the Lord concerning a law that he had given. Verse 33, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. One can almost see the attitude. If he was collecting sticks and someone said, hey, it's the Sabbath, the guy might have said, oh, no, I completely forgot. But here he is brought before the leaders. Although the account doesn't say it, you can see him saying, so what? I'm cold. I need some sticks. The sin has gone from a sin of going astray to one which is high handed. Thus, we have here an account which takes us through both of the previous sections and what is to be done because of it. In this, he is brought to Moses, the prophet and lawgiver, Aaron, the established high priest and thus mediator, and to all the congregation, meaning the leaders who represent them and the ones to relay congregational matters to those below them. From there, it is unknown exactly what should be done. Verse 34, they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Like the parallel account of the blasphemer of Leviticus 24, the person is placed in custody because they were unaware of what should be done. The word explained here is the same word, parash, that was used in Leviticus 24:12. It signifies to disperse or separate. Thus, it is figuratively used to specify. By separating, one can then determine one thing from another. The penalty of death for violating the Sabbath has already been given in Exodus 31 and again in Exodus 35. And so it may be that they wanted to be sure that gathering sticks was sufficiently considered as work. And if so, what type of death should be executed upon him? And so they await the answer. Verse 35, then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. The God of justice demands justice be served. For this Sabbath breaker, it's time for lights out and a permanent nap in the sands of the desert. His bed would be the ground and his blanket would be the heap of stones covered with his own blood. If even a small portion of the total number of people in the camp threw a stone, he would be so covered that the pile would be very large over him. The Lord has spoken and his word is to be obeyed. Verse 36, so as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. As was commanded, so it was done. He was taken outside the camp so as not to defile it. And they stoned him with stones, not even touching him in his death, but casting the implements of his execution from a distance. One major difference between this account and that of Leviticus 24 is that it says there they stoned him with a stone. Here it says they stoned him with stones. The reason for that subtle but important difference was explained. If you've forgotten the reason, that's two demerits and a five-yard penalty. 
Time to brush up by reviewing that sermon this afternoon. As the Sabbath was said to be given in Exodus chapter 20, because the Lord created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, it was thus an implicit denial of God being the creator. If one didn't accept the creation account, then they would be denying the account of the creator. Whether they believed the earth was eternal or whether they believed it came about by a big bang followed by evolution, such ideas are ultimately a denial of God. To deny his word is to deny him. This individual wanted to gather sticks more than he wanted to acknowledge his creator, and he received the penalty for his errant ways. Other Sabbath breakers are identified elsewhere in scripture, and they don't receive what is commanded here. Such is seen, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 13. They did not receive the same penalty for the conduct as this offender, despite having committed like offenses. However, the law is noted for punishing such first offenses. To not punish the first offense, but then to punish a later one would show an arbitrary nature of God's judgment. But to punish a first offense and not punish a later one would show that even under the heavy weight and requirements of the law, mercy could be found. Further, there is every reason to believe, especially because of the surrounding context, that he didn't just die because of what he did, but because of the presumptuous nature of how he did it. Unfortunately for this dude, no leniency, as is later seen in examples such as Nehemiah, was available for him. He died as an example of the heavy weight, which is the law of Moses, and as a way of reminding the people of that weight, and thus the penalty for violating that weight, we come to our final section of the day, right after a short poetic break. Mm -hmm. Tassels for the four corners of the garments we wear, with a blue thread in them as well, sewn by hands with tender care, because surely they have a story to tell. Tassels to remind us of our law, tassels with a blue thread in them, as the Lord did tell. One hurting soul reached for Jesus' tassel, this I saw, and when she touched it, she was healed and made well. Surely he has come with healing in his wings, and in him is healing in every possible way. In knowing the meaning of the tassels, my heart sings, and to God I am thankful forever, starting from today. Our third thought today is the tzitzit. It's verses 37 through 41. Verse 37. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The words are not correct. It says, Ve'yomer Yehovah el Moshe lemor. And the Lord said to Moses, saying, The normal address is daber, or spoke. Here, as in several other passages, it is amar, or said. The idea then is that in the coming verses, there will be a complexity to the task which will require a partnership and people working together. The Lord next says to Moses, verse 38, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. The Lord instructs Moses to further instruct the children of Israel. They are to make tzitzit or tassels for the corners of their garments. These tzitzit are now introduced, and they will be seen only four times in Scripture. Three will be in this chapter, and once in Ezekiel 8.3, where the word speaks of a lock of hair of the prophet's head. The word comes from tzitz, which is widely translated as a word signifying glistening. Just as something glistens when light shines off of it, so a tzitzit will extend out from the edge of a garment and adorn it like a flower. They appear to be the same as what are called gedalim in Deuteronomy 22, verse 12. 
These are to be placed on the kanaf, or as it's translated, corners. The word literally means wing or an extremity. The traditional garment would be a four-cornered cloth with a hole in the middle. Thus, two corners would be on the front and two on the back. On each of these corners, or wings, a tassel was to be attached. Along with that, verse 38 continues, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Within the tassels was to be a thread or cord of blue. The word is tekelet. It is the same blue used in the materials of the sanctuary. The dye comes from the cerulean muscle. It is a deep blue, as was seen in the Exodus sermons and in earlier number sermons where that color was used. Blue signifies the law. That is derived from what is explicitly stated next. Verse 39, And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. The tassel was to be a reminder concerning the commandments of the Lord. Just as we might tie a string around our finger to remind us to do something, so Israel was to have these tassels as a constant reminder of their need to remember the Lord's commandments and to observe them. Thus, like the priests, the entire congregation of Israel had garments which bore a symbolical meaning. It set the entire nation apart in this manner. The reminder to remember and do the commandments of the Lord is then contrasted with the next words, verse 39 continues, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. The circumcision of the flesh was to be a reminder to them that they were God's people. Thus, they should use their bodies in a physically holy manner. The tzitzit were for the garments to remind them of acting in a spirit of holiness. There is harlotry of the body and there is harlotry of the heart. Their eyes would incline them to do both. For the tassels, they were to help them as a constant reminder to focus on God's law and not on pursuing pagan and idolatrous practices. Unfortunately, these very ends of the garments became a source of personal idolatry. Jesus rebuked the leaders of Israel for this in Matthew chapter 23. Here's what he said to them. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. The enlarging of the borders of their garments is speaking of this practice. It was a way of pretending to be more pious than others by showing off their desire to follow and do the Lord's commands more than anyone else. It is like the guy that brings the most expensive Bible to church, but it is never opened and it remains unread. Outward acts of piety rarely match the state of the heart. Verse 40, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. The first clause repeats what was just said, showing that the purpose of these was set. It was not to be a snazzy adornment that would change with fashion and custom, nor was it to be used as the Pharisees used them, demonstrating superiority of self over that of others. Rather, it was for the purpose of remembering and doing the Lord's commandments, as well as verse 40 continues, and be holy for your God. Not in having the tassels, but in doing and keeping the Lord's commandments, they would be holy for their God. 
The tassels were simply an external reminder intended to ensure spiritual truths were realized in the people. And this is because verse 41 finishes with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. This is a close repeat of what was last stated in Leviticus 26 verse 45. There he said, But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. There, towards the end of the chapter, the Lord spoke of his covenant promises, first to Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. Then he spoke of the covenant with the people's ancestors who were brought out of the land of Egypt. In other words, the Lord referred to both the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. It is the Mosaic Covenant which is detailed now and which is to be remembered by the wearing of these tassels. The same Lord who has proclaimed that he will always remember this covenant with these people until they are brought into the new covenant is telling them to remember this same covenant as well. In fact, he closes out the Old Testament with this thought. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The thing about the covenant with Moses is that it promises another prophet like Moses, whom they were to hear. It also, during the time of Jeremiah, promises a new covenant with Israel. Thus, in asking Israel to remember the law of Moses, it is asking the people to remember that the law of Moses has an end and that it only pointed to something greater. The tassels on their garments then actually ask the people to remember Messiah. They are to remember that he is coming and that they must hear him when he speaks. Therefore, the tassels are given as a picture of the coming Christ, just as everything else is. The blue cord contained within them is not a reminder of their fulfillment of the law, but of his. He is the fulfillment of this beautiful blue cord in the tassel. Hints of this are actually seen in his ministry. This is what it says in the book of Matthew. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. And then again in Matthew 14, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem, the tzitzit of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. It is the tassel that they reached for, understanding that he was to be the fulfillment of the law, which they were reminded of with the wearing of their own tassels. One was to come who would heal the people, but not just physically. Christ's mission was to heal the people spiritually as well. This is why this marvelous passage of Numbers ends as it does. It looks forward to the great and glorious Lord who came and walked among us in order to redeem us from the curse of this law. In the end, everything about this law points to Christ. He is our sacrifice for sin, curse removed. 
He is the one who frees us from the penalty of our presumptuous acts of sin by granting mercy through faith. Curse removed. Though the law demanded death for Sabbath violations, Christ is now our Sabbath rest. Curse removed. And this is all because he is our healer, both physically and spiritually. In him is the fulfillment of the law. And so when we look to him in faith, we can gladly say, thank God. Curse removed. Let us trust in Christ. Let us rest in Christ and honor our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ all of our days. Yes, may it be so. Once again, we come to the inescapable fact that we are done with the law of Moses. People will cite Malachi 4 and say, remember the law of Moses. See, you have to observe it. That's not what it's saying at all. The law of Moses specifically said someone is coming who would be like me and you must hear him. And Jeremiah 31 says that I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. When you have a new covenant, the old is obsolete. You are either under the old covenant and you will be judged by the weight of this law and you will be cast into the, the place of destruction, the lake of fire, the place of death. We call it hell. Or you will be judged by Christ's fulfillment of this law and you will be saved. And those are the only two options for humankind. You can either be judged by the deeds of the flesh or you will be judged by Christ's deeds when he was in the flesh, when he came to walk among us. That is it. So please, I would ask you to consider very carefully your state before God and understand that you deserve what that man got today. Not just because he was gathering sticks on a Sabbath, but because he was born in sin and because he sinned countless times in his life. And we saw King David, he committed great sin before the Lord and yet the Lord forgave him. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. How can that be when the law demands the imputation of that iniquity? It's because he gave them grace. He gave them the chance to come to him and receive pardon through the day of atonement. And that in and of itself still only looks forward to Jesus Christ. Every single thing that we see in this law of Moses, every precept, every detail, every animal, every grain offering, everything points to Christ because God wants us to surely call on Christ and be saved through his shed blood. So if you've never done it, please make today the day. I have a closing verse for you, also from Malachi chapter 4. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Remember the law of Moses, because this guy is going to have healing in his wings. And what did they do? They reached for the hem of his garment. It doesn't say tzitzit in the Greek there. It just simply says the hem of his garment. But we know what it is now and why it was given to Israel. It was to remind them of the coming Messiah who would free them from the very law that they are receiving at this time in the wilderness. Next week is number 16, 1 through 15. Choose wisely because unless on the Lord you call, it's entitled set up for a fall. That'll be our 30th numbers sermon. I know that's kind of an odd title for a sermon. It's very enjoyable. Well, actually, it wasn't for the people that uh, we'll, we'll find out about it. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. 
Now, before I give you our poem, I want to ask you a question. It's concerning the corner of the garment, meaning that tzitzit. Who cut off the corner of another person's garment, and why was that so significant? Was, uh, David. David and Saul. That's right. Why was it so significant that he did that? That's Yeah, he's showing you're cut off. That's picturing Christ. It's picturing the coming of the Messiah. It's given to remind them of the law of Moses and to remember its precepts. And Saul understood the significance of that. And that's why David's heart was so broken. He said, God forbid that I should do this to the Lord's anointed or however he said it. It's because he understood that he was implying that you're going to be cut off from the Lord because of what you've done, right? I've done nothing wrong and I'm innocent, but here, look at your guilt. Anyway, there you go. Our poem is called Remembering and Performing. Good job, by the way. Everybody gets Maserati today. Good job. They go really fast. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't get one. You, you go to driver's school and then you get your Maserati. All right. Remembering and Performing. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments as instructed to do, which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you, by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be according to this word. If it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, this violation of his word, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. With its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, so shall it be. And one kid of the goats is a sin offering as instructed by me. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. For them it shall go well. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin, according to this word. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel, so shall it be, and the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. Then if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering of this. Please make careful note. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally in his sin, when he sins unintentionally before the Lord, to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him." You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is a native born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them, as to you I now instruct and tell. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is a native born or a stranger, so to you I say, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, so shall it be this way, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment in his sin. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall remain upon him. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation to see what the Lord would say. They put him under guard, which means things were looking grim because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must be put to death, surely. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp, so shall it be. So, as the Lord commanded Moses, yes, as the Lord did decide, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, These words to him he was then relaying, Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners, so they shall do, of their garments throughout their generations, and to put in the tassels of the corners a thread of blue. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it 
and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. So to you, this law I submit and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined in this life as you trod and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. So circumspectly, you must always trod Lord God. We are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide. O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for the chance to come into your presence and to be a part of your people because of what Christ did for us. Thank you for that. And Lord, we certainly pray for the people that are afflicted right now, for the people that are going through difficult times, for those that are suffering financially or physically or emotionally or in relationships or whatever else is going on in the lives of these people. I would pray that you would be with them and help them and give their hearts the desire to seek you more, even in their affliction, not forsaking you and not turning away because of the trials, but coming closer to you and knowing that you are God and you love them despite the trials. Lord, we do thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. It's hard to read about people being stoned to death, but it's also hard to imagine that we deserve exactly that. But it's so good to know that we receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus who has made all things new and who has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thank you for Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen. Amen.